I would prefer that women's golf be difficult because of the depth of field and the number of people, not just because you can't afford to do it. All right, episode 14 of Golf Needs You, a podcast where golf industry creators, entrepreneurs, and professionals can walk us through their personal stories and their professional journeys and tell us a little bit about how they got to where they are today. My guest today is Hannah Gregg. Hannah is a serial entrepreneur, uh, not only in her marketing company that she founded with her sister, Cozy Co., or in her social media influencing, but also as a professional golfer, as she talks about on the podcast today. Hannah's super interesting. She has a great insight into what it takes to be a professional golfer, um, all that goes along with it, making ends meet financially, and how some of that led her to her entrepreneurial endeavors that she discusses with me on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Hannah Gregg. You can follow her on Instagram at, at HannahBGG. And enjoy. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm Will Mayo, Director of Golf Sales and Business Development at Rams Hill Golf Club, and this is Episode 14 of Golf Needs You. Okay, we are here with Hannah Gregg. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, first question I ask everybody, and I was especially interested to ask you, you're in an elevator with someone and they ask you casually, what do you do for a living and what do you tell them? Oh my gosh, I would uh, probably lie. <laughs> if I was on my way to going like somewhere and I was kind of in a hurry, I would be like, oh, I'm a real estate agent or something <laughs> like that. Um but I mean, if I had some time, because you know they're always going to react to saying, "Oh, I'm a professional golfer," so mm-hmm. I'd probably say it if I had some time to explain. But yeah, I might make up something else and be like, "Oh, I'm in IT." <laughs> Just something that it requires zero follow-up questions. Yeah, anything else? Um, well, you. I mean, it is super interesting to be a professional golfer, and we'll get more into that. And I think it's what's also interesting about being a professional golfer for for better or worse is there another sport in the world where you can just declare yourself a professional yeah I mean that's so true like um it's I try to explain that to people too because a lot of people don't know that part about it because you know when you're playing another sport usually you get like drafted or like picked and some people leave college to go do it and Mm -hmm. um it's a super different and also like with golf a lot of people will just leave in the middle of college just to turn pro and you're like oh like who are you gonna be playing for or whatever right and you're like uh myself yeah um so it's kind of funny yeah it's very different it is and and it's can have like and I've, I've obviously never been um of the golf stature to do it myself but like I feel like it has it's tough like it has consequences too and it, and every folks who just declare themselves pro like it's not doesn't mean that there's success that's incoming immediately right Oh my gosh. I think uh, the main one that the main consequence of it is how expensive it is. Um, That's probably the main thing that a lot of people like don't get when you first say you're turning pro is that since you're not on the team and you're not, you know, being funded by someone else or competing in all these things, like you're paying for your entry fees, you're paying for your travel. Um, Most of the time when you're starting out on mini tours, you don't have equipment sponsors it's usually like your home club puts together some money because they believe in you um, if you're lucky enough to have that. So it's very different and very expensive and it really it can wear on you a lot. And I, I guess I want to talk about your specific journey to get to that point. But so you play golf at Nevada, right? 
Nevada yeah, or Nevada? So, I don't know. <laughs> Nevada. Nevada. Um, I actually played my first two years at a small school in the Napa Valley called Sonoma State. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I transferred when I was uh, just after my sophomore year. And I got to go with my little brother. We both played golf at University of Nevada. Oh, nice. Yeah, which was awesome. And I um, played there for two years and had a redshirt year and uh, graduated in 2018. Okay. And then, so right after graduation, then did you decide that you wanted to give the pro thing a go? Um, I knew that I wanted to turn pro when I got to Nevada. And after my first season there, I talked to my coach about it. Um, and she said that she thought, cause she played professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, oh, I think you definitely have the demeanor for it. I think with like a little more growth, you should, you should definitely do it. So that was my plan from about then on. But um, right after I graduated, I had to figure out the money situation to play right. um, because there was no one else that was going to cover it for me. So I took that year, 2018, the rest of that year to get like figured out, grind a lot, get better, try to figure out where I was going to be living. Um, and then I turned pro officially in 2019. And that was my first like full season um, of playing full time. And that is still my only season of playing full time because this year has been canceled. Right, right. And so for folks listening, you know, you are you graduate college, you're a D1 golfer. Can you even begin to explain like what kind of financial just by the numbers you're even looking at as someone who's about to embark on this pro journey? Someone like, yeah, like, like, like in your exact situation, give me your exact finance. (laughs) Um, I mean, so I actually wrote an article about this when I was in college doing all this research. I I was um, writing a few things for golf WRX and I was like, my mind was blown by the amount of expenses that like the bare minimum to play a year on mini tours or whatever tour you have status on, like scraping by was spending like 40 K and Yeah. And I was coming out of college. I didn't have like a full, full scholarship at Nevada. So I still had some student loans to pay off. And I remember just being like, oh, cool. So like now I have to find 30K for the next year to even think about making money as a professional. That doesn't guarantee you even make any of that back. Um, So that was kind of when I figured that I needed to figure out like a job that I could do remotely. And that's how I got into the social media stuff. And I read that article, uh, the one I think the, the one I think you're referencing, <laughs> where you said that I thought it was super interesting. Where you basically say, like, when you get into pro golf, you are becoming an entrepreneur, and your business is yourself. Yeah, you definitely have to bet on yourself. I mean, it's I see it very similar to like startups and stuff because mm-hmm. you have to go collect seed funding, you have to bet on yourself, you have to offer yourself as a product that people are willing to invest in, and those people have to say, I might not make a return on this. Right. They're taking a gamble when they invest in you, um, which obviously makes it really special when people do invest in you. Um, but also it's a lot of pressure to be taking with you when you go out to the golf course. Right. And and I'm curious, like how for folks that do sponsor players and, and things like that, how does that generally work? Like what is the like the arrangement or the setup typically for something like that? Um, it kind of depends. So from what I have learned talking to other people and talking to like t- tournament directors, there's a couple different ways you can do it. There's like a revenue share type thing where people will come together and help an athlete out and loan them some money and mm-hmm. they expect a cut of your earnings after that year or after each tournament. Sometimes they'll give you a line of credit that you have to pay back a certain percentage on. 
whatever that may be. Um, there's also people who will hold fundraising tournaments and raise money and say, okay, enter this tournament. Your, your money's going directly to me playing golf this year or me going to Q school this year. Um, sometimes clubs, this isn't really common in America, but I've seen this a lot with like European golfers and golfers from the UK. Um, clubs will just like put together, they'll like sponsor the player basically in exchange for the player being attached to that club. So it's kind of like free advertising. Right. Um, and then the player practices there and stuff and mentions them whenever they play well and all of that stuff. So there's a lot of different ways to go about it. The one that I see the most commonly is, especially in the first few years, is like someone's parents saying, all right, you've got, you know, two years to do this. We're going to fund you for two years. If you don't have your own money or you don't make it after that, figure it out. <laughs> and two years really isn't that much time. To get oh, my it gosh. Literally out. nothing. Like the whole first year of me playing golf, all of 2019 was me just like trying to figure out what I was doing, and where I was going. <laughs> Really? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, you've never gone to Q school before. Like, not everyone has a professional golfer that they hang out with that can explain to them how it works. So, like, I really knew nothing about it, about the whole process. Um, and most of my friends who were girls around my age, they hadn't gone to Q school either. So we were all like, okay, did you, like, do this by this deadline? And they were like, yeah, did you do this? And we were all just trying to make sure we didn't, like, screw anything up before we even got the chance to. Um, and then you're trying to figure out, like, how does traveling work? How do I get the rental car on time? What If I miss the cut, what am I going to do? I have to book a new flight home. Weird stuff like that that you don't know until you have to do it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm pretty tuned in to golf in general, and I still I, – I could not begin to intelligently – explain how like status works on yeah that's another thing yeah that's super confusing until you actually go through it because even if you like get your status you still don't know what tournaments you're in sometimes until like a few days before the tournament like when I was playing on WAPT last year a lot of those girls have conditional Symmetra status and they'll get called up at like you know the day before and so Gary, the tournament director out there, just comes to girls on the range and he'll be like, hey, you got called up. You have to go. Jeez. So then these girls have to say, OK, well, is it worth me spending two grand to fly across the country to get into this tournament when, you know, like I don't even know what how I'm going to get home, where I'm going to stay when I get there. Am I going to have time for a practice round? Like all these different things. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't know anyone who said no. But I can imagine, like, if you're in California and there's a tournament in Florida tomorrow, you'd be like, should I do this? Right, right. Yeah, it's a tough decision. And I do feel like, uh, do you follow Monday Q info or like Ryan? Yes. Ryan, what he's doing? I think that's been really cool for me and hopefully for a lot of other people, just like shining a light into what that world is like. And it's also shine a light on like, man, any given day anybody can go out and fire like a 62 on these tours. Like, how, how crazy is that? That's like it's just like the talent is so deep it's yeah it's gotta be daunting I mean not even just that like anyone can shoot 62 like someone is going to so I think <laughs> right. that's the most frustrating thing when you're out there at these qualifiers like if you're even on the front nine you're like should I just go like yeah. because yeah. there was a tournament in Arizona there was a Monday qualifier I think it was last year um I didn't play in it but I had a couple of friends who played in it and there were three spots I believe and all three of the girls that got through shot 64 
So there's girls that shot 65 that day who are like, guess I'll just go home. That was a nice 400 bucks I just spent. Like, yeah. that's crazy. You're playing great golf and you're still getting your butt handed to you. <laughs> right. Like, I again, I've never reached that level of athleticism where I have this, like, belief in myself that I can make it. But I feel like it's got to, <laughs> like, wear on you when you, like, look at, like, the reality of numbers and, like, man, like, like how long do I grind for with such a limited chance to like financially break through. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't mean that about about you. I just mean, no, I, I hundred percent know what you mean. Yeah. My sister says all the time, she's not a golfer and she couldn't care less about golf. And she's like, every golfer I've met, like you guys are the most optimistic people I have ever come across. Like you're constantly beaten down and then you just keep trying. (laughs) I'm like, Hmm. yeah, Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's honestly, yes, you are. um, You have to definitely learn to deal with failure and rejection a lot. But the the reward for being part of the 1% is obviously something that we all want. And it's, it's, (laughs) if you want it bad enough to do it, then you're gonna, you're gonna be okay when you fail along the way. So I but I mean, when you when it seems to not be worth it and the rejections are, you know, affecting you a little more than they should. And it's not fun anymore. I think that's when most people know like this, is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, we'll, we'll jump back to that in a bit. Cause there's something else I wanted to ask you, but you, you touched on it for a second and for lack of better term, Instagram influencing, how do you feel about that term? I feel so lame saying that. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. Um, because I, I do have a social media agency with my sister. So that's more of like a job title to us. Like okay. that's just what they're called. It doesn't super bother me. I don't think of it as those uh, annoying people who are like in bikinis on top of roofs on that. Have you seen influencers <laughs> gone wild? Yes. It's like, that's not really an influencer. That's not all of them. That's like the funny ones. So it doesn't super bother me. There's a ton of influencers um, that are very good at what they do. And the more I see so many similarities between athletes and influencers, they're basically interchangeable at this point because athletes are influencers. Hmm. Um, Like even I was talking to someone about this the other day and they're like, this influencer thing is going too far. And I'm like, what did you think celebrities were all these years? Right. Like when movie stars are endorsing products, like what did you think that was? Yeah. <laughs> it's influencing. It's just on a different platform. So yeah, I, I've been doing it for uh, about four years now. Okay. And then it's like, how do you even define like when you started doing it? Like, was that like when you realized maybe you had enough of a platform to, to financially get something out of it? Like, how do you, how do you even define that four years ago when you started? Um, four years ago was when I started growing my social, um, actively and intentionally, like actually trying to, yeah, kind of showcase golf. When I transferred to Nevada, I was like, okay, um, I'm doing something really cool. And I definitely think this would be something people are interested in. And I like sharing this stuff. So I started posting on social media a little more, kind of trying to learn like what was going to get people's attention and what was missing in that market. And then I just got better and better at it as I was going. And then I was working remotely for an agency my senior year of college to like get some spending money on the side. And I was working with other influencers, hiring them, managing brand promotions and all that stuff. And I just started getting into like the business side of it. So yeah, I would say about the last four years I've been doing it as an influencer and also like managing other influencers. Okay. And you know, I 
I looked back at our message history and I reached out to you and I asked you to come out and bring Fred and play and stay and show and promote Rams Hill. And you said, okay. And that was it. That was like your whole negotiation. <laughs> but what an awesome, like, that's the best job in the world, right? I mean, oh my cool gosh. Like, the main one of the main things that I was worried about when I was in school because I would talk to all my friends who had turned professional and I said, like, what's the hardest thing about playing pro golf? And I thought they would all say, you know, you play really well and you miss the cut, like that's the hardest part. Or being away from home and not seeing your dog, like that's the hardest part. But every single one that I talked to, especially women, said being able to afford to even go to a tournament is the hardest part. And I mean when you think about it, like the travel is expensive. Yeah. But if you don't have parents that are members at a club, you have to find your own place to practice and you have to pay for gloves and shoes and equipment and balls and all this stuff like that adds up really, really quickly. Um, So when you're trying to do it for a living, it's pretty difficult if you have to spend all that money um, just to have the right equipment that actually works for you. So that was the main reason that I started doing this stuff was basically just to get free golf because I knew I wasn't going to be able to afford to have a nice practice facility if I had to pay for it myself. Yeah. Well, it seems like you've hopefully accomplished that part of the goal. And you know, part, <laughs> part of this project for me is just to like talk to interesting people who are finding their own ways to carve out a living through the game of golf or some extension of the game of golf. And for, for I feel like it's like folks see – Instagram influencers and I think well they just get paid to hold up like a shampoo bottle and but maybe it's as simple as that sometimes but maybe it's not like what is like the when you truly break it down like how does one like make a living off of having a large Instagram following I mean so I wish it was that simple that would be nice um I think that you are an influencer if you have a following of people doesn't matter what size it is um, if you have a following of people who are interested in either your expertise or what you're doing or your opinion or whatever it may be, um, I think the main reason that people follow me is because I'm doing something that you don't see very often. Um, not not everyone knows a professional golfer. And even if you do know one, you might not know what goes on behind the scenes. So I think that's like part of the interest of like what I'm doing on social media. Same thing with Fred. Um, He kind of showcases what it's like to be a touring professional and just kind of trying to figure things out as you go. But I think influencing basically boils down to wanting to share what you're doing with other people. And if they're interested in it, then there you go. You have influence. Absolutely. And, you know, I've I've experienced that in my I've, I've been doing my Rams Hill job for like a year now. And even on like a super small level, I've realized like, man, like if I just had a little more influence I'll, I'll put things on instagram about the house being for for rent or two times available or whatever it may be i was like man as i continue to grow this platform like i would be the best golf salesperson in the world if i had totally. thousand followers like you do like i would be like what a great strategy Just- i mean yeah it's kind of crazy because i when the first time that i saw like how powerful it could really be was um q school last year because i was freaking out the deadline was coming up for entry and i was like i don't think i'm gonna be able to pay for this it ended up being about five grand total for like the week of q school and the entry fee itself was three grand and i was like i just don't know if this is smart but it's the only way to get status so i have to figure it out and i put it out on instagram and within 24 hours someone had started a gofundme for me and paid for all of it wow 
my entire entry fee. And that was kind of when I was like, wow, these people actually care what I'm doing and want to see me do well. So that was really cool. Well, and this is something I've thought about a lot. I'll try to articulate it intelligently, but I'll probably fail. (laughs) But like for me, I think, you know, if I want to go and do a different job at some point, if I want to go sell something else, I want to go be something else, do something else like that. It doesn't define me, but the number of followers that I might have or you might have or someone might have, like how I feel like it's like almost like a part of your my resume now. If I were to go try to sell for something else, like you'll have these this audience seemingly forever and that's got to have some value, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely put it on your resume, especially if you're going into marketing or something. Um, yeah, it's definitely an effective skill to have. I would say um, marketing in general is heading in this direction, and we're going to see a big. We already are seeing, obviously, a big turn away from traditional marketing into this stuff. Mm-hmm. But once again, if you think about it, this really isn't that much different than how marketing's always been. <laughs> right. Well, and we talked about it a bit before. I hit record here, but you know, we've we've been actively focusing on getting folks of influence out to Rams Hill just to share what we feel like is a beautiful place that is probably um, under showcase right now. And I think we've done a really good job this season. We would have done better if we could have gotten you and Fred out, but we've been really <laughs> trying and because it is valuable. Yeah. You guys have killed it. Honestly, you guys are an example that I use for a lot of our golf clients um, because you've been super effective in, I don't know, like how much you've invested on the paid side, but I know that a lot of people are coming out there just for the experience and the, like being getting free golf and whatever free stay while they're there. So it's a very inexpensive way to get your brand out there and get a lot of basically free PR. And that's a new thing that hasn't really been a possibility before. Um, yeah. People didn't used to get free TV ads <laughs> because someone came to their hotel. That's yeah. never been a thing before. Interesting. And, and the other thing that I think about in, in kind of brokering those relationships is, is really brokering the relationship because I, as much as it's great for if you were to come out and post, like what's more important for me is that you fall in love with Rams Hill and then maybe organically you'll share it with just your friends. Like that's as important yeah. to me as anything else. Um, I love that. That's the right approach to have too, because with influencer marketing, the worst thing you could have is if it comes off as staged or like, not really genuine yeah so and you guys have such a cool facility like that's never really going to be a problem I can't imagine someone going out there and be like this sucks yeah but yeah I wouldn't wouldn't think so but yeah I mean that's that's the right idea behind it um do you ever worry about Instagram just like up and dying like becoming not cool overnight or anything like that like what happens if that happens no a lot of people say that all the time and I don't really understand where that's coming from just because like Facebook has virtually died right like none of us are going on it our parents use it all the time like but it's still there um it's not going to happen in one day you'll have time to move your followers over to YouTube or TikTok whatever it might be um I would say it is important to kind of diversify yourself I picked up TikTok pretty early um I'm still not very good at it but there's it was the same thing with Instagram now here we are Instagram's been around what like 10 or 11 years or so and people are just now getting into it and starting to like use it as a way to showcase their business or their professional golf life whatever it is so I mean the earlier you can pick up these other things the better but it's not like one of them is going to disappear in a week and you're going to lose everything (laughs) sure yeah no it makes total sense um last kind of facet of your operation talk about diversifying I know you mentioned 
Cozy Co, right? Is that how we say it, like, colloquially? Yeah, yeah. That's my company with my sister. We started a social media agency when I was graduating. Um, And my sister actually used to work for Lululemon doing their community management in San Francisco. And she left that to do Cozy Co full-time a little over a year and a half ago. So, yeah, now we're both doing that. And I thought that it was really cool that on the mission page it says help small businesses succeed in an ad space dominated by corporations because that's what a lot of people are trying to do right just succeed in a huge pool yeah and we love small businesses um my family is from san francisco my sister still lives there so it's just like startup town usa Mm -hmm. um so we meet a lot of cool brands that we that just kind of don't understand what they have to do to compete on that scale especially when your marketing budget isn't two hundred and fifty thousand. Um, we've worked with big companies as well in the golf space and other spaces too, but small businesses are really fun for us because that's where you can see such a big difference in someone's marketing strategy. I feel like with the bigger brands, they're like, okay, we'll throw 10 K at this and see if it works. But a small business, like that's not really how it works and you have to deliver results pretty quickly. Um, so we really like that environment. It's been a lot of fun. Okay, so speaking of small businesses that don't make any money, do you have any suggestions for my podcast of how I can get more exposure? I mean, I love what you're doing with the pod. I think I would just reach out to as many people as you can, interview all of them, because if they win a tournament someday, you get to say, Mm. hey, look who I interviewed a couple years ago. Check it out. See how far they've come. Um, I would also grow your social media presence if possible. So 160 Uh, followers is not good. (laughs) I mean, maybe your first goal is like 2000. You could start there. Okay. You're right. No, I'll try. And and to to be totally honest with you, like the whole purpose of this project for me was I had like four goals. One was to just have a creative outlet. Two was to network with creative people, just like a thinly veiled way for me to network. Uh, Three was to like establish some sort of perceived expertise. Like, oh, this guy must know golf. He's got a podcast. (laughs) <laughs> and then, and then, I, and I can handle all three of those without anyone ever listening, and I'm okay with that. And then, like a distant number four would be like, well, to try to figure out how folks make money from these kind of things. And if that never happens, I'm satisfied with one through three. Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, if you're ever in talks with a company, we've we've had a couple of brands who've thought about marketing on podcasts, and the main thing that they want to know is obviously guaranteed streams. Mm -hmm. Um, but just general exposure, like Monday Q has done a really, really good job of just growing his personal brand to the point where like people tune in all the time and are kind of on the edge of their seats and they listen to what he says. So any brand that works with him is guaranteed listens at least by his subscribers or whoever it is. So that's the main thing you have to be able to push when a brand reaches out to you is this is how many people I reach. This is how many conversions you can expect. Well, let's try it out. Yep, absolutely. Um, rounding into the kind of the end of the, the app here, I got a couple more questions, but I wanted to ask you know, for someone like you who is doing so many different things, how do you, how does your time break down? Like what's the percent of your time between focusing on pro golf, focusing on social media game, focusing on Cozy Co and or anything else? Um, I mean, I could tell you like my daily schedule right now, it's a little different because of quarantine, obviously. Usually it would be... Um, slightly different just because last year pretty much every week I was on the road so there was like some time zone issues and stuff but the breakdown right now is 
I wake up at 7.30 pretty much every day. Um, and I'll usually just hop on my laptop or my phone and check emails and get caught up for a couple hours. Um, and then I go feed my horse. Uh, my parents have a horse on our property and he's 26 years old. 26? Yeah, he's, we don't know like how he's lived this long. He, what is that? Big horses. Uh, I honestly, I think it's like six horse years to every human year, but horses of his size are not really supposed to live past like 20 or 22 ish. He's big boy. Yeah. So that's really cool. So I'll feed Sam and then I'll come back inside. Uh, right now I usually call Fred and get caught up because when I wake up, he's nine hours ahead. So he's getting back from like practicing or teaching. So we get caught up on all of our short game gain stuff. By the way, we have a company together now called Short Game Gains. I don't know if you've Breaking heard about it, it yet. Um, yeah, casual plug, but we have a, a short game training aid company called uh, Short Game Gains that we just launched. So usually we get some work done on that. And I usually do work until about noon. And there's a country club out here called Cadaverdera, and they take awesome care of me. And if I go out there around like two or three, they really don't care what I do. So um I get to go out there, kind of have free reign of the practice area. Then I'll go play. And around seven, I'll go work out and then come home. I think anyone listening to that probably thinks that you have it absolutely figured out. Like that's what an awesome way to be in control of your own like personal professional destiny. That's an awesome day. I mean, it obviously there are things that will happen on some days where you're like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. Got to take care of this really quick. But it's the, the general structure is pretty much every day and it's worked out really, really well. It's I, my day is pretty much split down the middle, half golf and half work. So it's worked out. Okay. That's awesome. Um, and then just circling back to something that you said earlier, you know, you, you, you briefly alluded to the fact that it, it may or may not be even more difficult for a female professional golfers to succeed on the mini tour circuit. I think that a lot of people know that, you know, girls under the age of 18 are the fastest growing segment of, of golf in the country. Do you feel like the mini tour game is like an opportunity is representative of that? Yeah. I mean, so to be clear, like it's hard for everyone. I mean, the depth of men's golf, like you said, is absolutely insane. Um, But I would prefer that women's golf be difficult because of the depth of field and the number of people, not just because you can't afford to do it. So that's one thing that I wish um, and I think is changing. Now that people are starting to see that women's golf is serious and they are starting to know more people who are doing it, um, it's just a numbers game at this point. There's not a ton of professional golfers who are women. There's not a ton of airtime for professional women's golf. So I think once people become more comfortable with it and see more of like women around them doing it, that's when you see more little girls being like, oh, that's something I could do, like being inspired by it. And that's the goal is just letting little girls know that they have the opportunity to do it. Yeah. And, and maybe it's just my own perception has expanded because I've been uh, trying to learn more. But like for a while there, I felt like some of like the many tour opportunities for, for my friends who are women playing professional golf, like out of college were garbage. And now it feels oh like my gosh. <laughs> maybe it's getting a little better. Like WAPT seems like a, a really like sound organization. Swing thought seems pretty neat, but like some of them, and I'll, I'll name them cause no one's going to listen. They're not going to listen anyways, but like the cactus <laughs> tour is like guard. You don't know anybody from the cactus tour. Yeah, no, <laughs> basically the, so the, the deal is this, you are hundred percent right. There are not enough options for women to play on many tours for guys. Literally in any state, you can find something nearby. 
You can find something relatively cheap with a lot of good players where you can test your game. When I got out of school, WAPT did not exist. The swing thought was like not for women. So Cactus Tour was pretty much your only option. And I live in California, so I would have to spend all this money to fly down to Arizona, get a hotel, pay the entry fee of the event, which Cactus Tour events aren't super cheap, and then hope that I made some of it back so that I could fly home. So and the WAP... Have you looked at that website lately? <laughs> it's garbage. Like, it's not representative of like the same thing that you're seeing from like men's mini tours. There's, it's honestly just like women's golf in general, up until probably the last three years has been so behind and kind of archaic, like there's just not enough money to make it as good as the men's stuff is. But also because in any given men's event, like on the swing thought, um, like they're an awesome tour. Now they've done like equal pay for women and men, you get to play Mm -hmm. from different tees, which is super cool, great opportunity. Like those fields are like 120 to 140 people. Right. And then you have the cactus tour, which is basically the only women's mini tour in the country for a long time. And the fields are like 80 to 100 girls sometimes. So it drives me nuts that that was the only opportunity. And yet it never like didn't feel like it progressed like where it could have or should have. Maybe that's not fair to say. The the WAPT, like that organization is run flawlessly like those tournaments are run so well um the whole thing you're treated very professionally they get you host housing at every event and the swing thought is doing similar stuff but they're just a younger tour so they're they're on their way and i think they want to help players a lot too but that is the difference in women's and men's golf there are not even close to as many opportunities which i think like this whole men and women playing for the same checks from different tees like i think Mm -hmm. that's the way it has to go I love the idea of it. Um, it's difficult to do correctly unless you do the research and figure out what those distances have to be. Right. But um, I love the idea of like equal opportunity. Men and women pay into the same purse. We get to pull from the same purse. We're playing the same golf course. And I've played in a bunch of swing thought events with guys and it's yep. so fun. Like I haven't had a single negative experience. All of the guys are so nice. Um, and I think they kind of enjoy playing with girls too, cause it's, it's a change. It's something sure. new in golf and it's fun. Well, I guess my original point was like, there's this tidal wave of young women, girl golfers coming. So I would think that's gotta mean that there's some like opportunity for the market to like capitalize on that. And I wanted to know if you had any business ideas that you wanted to share with me that we could do together to capitalize <laughs> on like the incoming wave of women in golf. Honestly, I've thought about starting my own tour many, many times. Me too. I've never gotten that far, though. (laughs) I think if you do it correctly and you find sponsors for it, like, it's a great idea. I don't have the time to do it myself personally. Um, I think women's apparel needs a big revamp in the next few years because it's all more marketed towards, like, older women, longer skirts, more, like, professional stuff, lots of bright neon, like, Florida-type colors, and... I struggle every single day to find something that fits me properly and actually looks good. Um, I'm nodding apparel. my head so hard right now. Yeah, like no, it's the, I'm, and you guys probably see it in the pro shop at Ramsdale too. Like <laughs> everything is oh, yeah. these crazy, like there's like turtle print shirts and you're like, yeah. what is that? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's crazy. So that would be something I see a lot in the next few years. And just like 
any opportunity to bring girls into whether it's junior golf, starting a junior golf tour, or just helping them figure out how to get into college. Doing, I also thought about doing like helping young women get golf scholarships to schools because when I was doing it, it was like very different and weird and hard to do. Um, right. It was basically just finding coaches' numbers and calling them and bothering them every day until they say yes or no. So yeah. I think there's a better way to do that. But I don't know. I, we're going to see – we'll see the market changing soon. And there's already a tidal wave. If you watch the Augusta Women's Amateur yeah. Tournament last year, you can see that the quality of women's golf in college is absolutely insane. Oh, yeah. um, and it's only going to get better. So. Yep, I was bummed to see that get canceled. And then I'll just say that – or not canceled in perpetuity, but like for this year. Um, yeah. I'll say that before this job with Ramsdale, I was working for the Southern California Golf Association. So I was running tournaments, qualifiers, championships from San Luis Obispo down to Tijuana and east to the Arizona border. So I was cool. running everything from like, you know, one day net hit and giggles to like um, U.S. Open and Women's Open qualifying. So I've been to almost every golf course in Southern California. I've got a lot of friends. So if you ever want to start that tour in Southern California... <laughs> Maybe we can pool resources. I'm down. Yeah. I mean, we probably met before then because I always do that qualifier down at industry. Industry. Yeah. We're like two two women advanced out of. Out of like 140. You're like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. That's wild. Okay. Last question. You already kind of alluded to it. So I'll I'll give you an opportunity. Um, Everyone hates when I do this, but I do it anyway. I'll give you an opportunity to break some news. Uh, Any breaking news you want to put out there. Um, so I can use it as a shameless way to promote this episode. And if you want to go back to short game gains, I'll let you, <laughs> or you can just break some really crazy news if you want. I mean, there's nothing really crazy going on. Fred and I did start the short game gains company um, about a, a little more than a month ago. We've already sold out of everything once. So I wow. really appreciate everyone's love and attention that they've given to it um they're just products that we use and that we've seen other professionals use and we thought that they could be better so we made them um and i really like how they've turned out so you can check that out the website is www.shortgamegains.com um other than that i'm gonna be updating instagram a lot more now that tournaments are kind of coming to the west coast and i'll be able to get to them a little more without having to fly so that's basically it. Nothing crazy. Well, breaking news. I think that counts. That's breaking news. <laughs> that's Hannah Gregg. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for everything that you've done for me, including this podcast. And I'm really looking forward genuinely uh, to you and hopefully Fred to come into Brago Springs this fall or winter. Yeah. Thank you for having me. We definitely need to get out there. You got it. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I'm playing golf this weekend. I'm on the tee box swinging I have my phone up on airplane mode I'm on the fairway lighting up a stone